This is a Federal News Network podcast. The military has seen a 26% rise in eating disorders in recent years. Health advocates are calling the House passage of the 2022 Defense Authorization Bill a win for helping those service members and their families. The bill expands intervention training for military health professionals and lengthens the amount of time dependents can use TRICARE benefits for help. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni talked about the issue with the Eating Disorders Coalition for Research, Policy and Action's Chief Strategy Officer, Jillian Lampert. Service members are certainly part of the larger picture when we think about who gets eating disorders. And in fact, service members are at a higher risk for getting an eating disorder in from a couple of perspectives. And we, we think about service members, and we also think about their families. And so we're really thinking about those two parts of the population. So we know that, that the diagnosis of eating disorders among military personnel has gone up over the past years. There's a, a study recently indicating a, a 26% increase in the diagnosis of an eating disorder among military personnel between 2013 and 2016. We know that the uh, service members are uniquely impacted by eating disorders and the confluence of eating disorders and uh, PTSD from military sexual trauma. We know there's a strong correlation between PTSD, military sexual trauma, and eating disorders. And so service members themselves have a unique set of, of factors that contribute to eating disorder risk. And then military families also have a unique set of factors that contribute to risk. We know that the rates of eating disorders in military families are about three times that of their civilian peers. And part of that is the uh, life disruption, if you will, the, the transition, the change that comes with, often comes with uh, living in a military family regarding moving, parent deployment, those factors that are really quite unique to children and spouses of service members. So we think of both of those categories when we think about this issue. What, do we sh- what should we be thinking about with eating disorders as it relates to service members themselves? And then what do we need to be thinking about for family members because they're both covered under the same healthcare plan. And when it comes to seeking help or seeking counseling about eating disorders, is there a stigma around that? You know, we've seen some issues with people getting help when they are feeling depressed or suicidal and things like that. Uh, does that translate over to an issue like this? We certainly hear that it is an issue. We certainly hear that the lack of access to support and to help is a significant issue for military members. In part, I think, because the stigma around eating disorders is still pretty strong. I think we're getting more aware as a, as a population at large around mental health conditions. Certainly after the past year and a half living through the pandemic, we've become even more aware of mental health issues and eating disorders to a certain degree. And yet we hear time and time again, stories from service members that the stigma that still exists around eating disorders is very strong And the piece that's a bit unique to eating disorders is that there are these strict weight and physical fitness requirements that are part of military service that are directly related to some of the eating disorder behaviors that military members experience. And so we end up with this difficult situation where military members, service members are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to meet the the fitness requirements, the regulations, and they're under very stressful situations, they end up with an eating disorder, and there's a significant amount of stigma to them reaching out for care and asking for help. And if they do reach out for care and ask for help, there's a 
significant issue also with what will happen when they reach out for help. Because we know that despite the fact that we have these high rates of eating disorders among military populations, there isn't the adequate response on the part of the military, on the part of uh, the hearer of that information, if you will. And so we believe that there's a real need for education around what you do if somebody comes to you and says they have an eating disorder, what should happen next? We have lots of stories where people who are able to to summon up the courage to go ask for help, to let somebody know their commanding officer or somebody else know that they need support, only to find out that there's not actually adequate treatment available. And in fact, having an eating disorder can be something that leads to their discharge from the military. So it's really a catch-22. Do I get help? Will they know what to do if I ask for help? Will the stigma there prevent me from even being able to communicate about this or somebody knowing what should happen next. And even if I then do have something happen next, what happens to my future career in the military? Eating disorders can obviously be very detrimental to the physical health of people, um, be it, uh, you know, overeating or undereating or taking in enough calories. Have you found that there's any sort of extra dangers with uh, people in the military considering the readiness that they need to keep and the amount of physical fitness that they have to uh, go through in some cases. Absolutely. I think that's one of our one of our big concerns is that the military readiness and health that's so important for our service members can really be compromised by an eating disorder and often because eating disorders are hidden or secret uh, nobody knows that that's the issue and nobody knows that that person's military readiness and health may well be impacted. And so they're at risk for having a, a negative outcome that's related to the eating disorder outcomes that people are not aware of. And again, like we were saying before, if it's a situation where somebody is really resistant or reluctant to ask for help because they aren't assured that they will get help, they, that tends to reinforce the secretive nature of the eating disorder. And that's all said in the context of a focus around both physical health and even mental health that can really lead people to feel questioning of themselves, like, oh, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this weight and shape and, and food, and these thoughts are, are constantly in my head. And yet when I talk to other people, they're also doing some, you know, some sort of odd things with their food in order to meet the fitness requirements or to drop weight. And so is this obsession I have, this concern I have, is it a problem? Maybe it's not a problem. And so service members struggling with an eating disorder often end up second guessing whether this thing that they're wrestling with is actually an illness or if it's just a normal, quote unquote, normal part of the experience. So now that we've talked a little bit about, you know, what the issue is, uh, there are some some solutions going through Congress right now, uh, one of them being the CERVE Act. Could you talk a bit about that and where it is right now? So the CERVE Act stands for Supporting Eating Disorders Recovery Through Vital Expansion. That's the long name for the CERVE Act. And the CERVE Act really focuses on a couple key areas. And it, it may not solve everything, but it certainly would go a long way towards making care more accessible and making understanding of eating disorders much more ubiquitous, I guess you could say. And so the first part that the CERVE Act looks at is changing an age limit. So right now, there's an age limit on the age of which military family members can receive higher levels of care. If they are over age 20, they can't receive some of these higher levels of care, particularly residential treatment. So once they hit age 20, they're not able to get 
that high a level of care any longer. That's very different than substance use disorder, which is another issue that, that often gets discussed. If you are over 20 in a military family and you need a higher level of care, you are able to access it if you have substance use disorder, but if you have an eating disorder, you're not. So there's a real differential in treatment access. So part of what the CERVAC does is change, take away that age limit on care for military families. That it takes out that just one little sentence about being over the age of 20 disqualifies you from treatment and says treatment is available and it's not age restricted. So really small change with a really big impact. That's Jillian Lampert, Chief Strategy Officer for the Eating Disorders Coalition for Research Policy and Action, speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Bassione. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them 
I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from 
talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.